0: hello this is Duran Orenstein from best saxophone website ever.com bringing you what i hope to be the best saxophone podcast ever here's where i meet with super brilliant folks from the saxophone world who will be sharing their insights tips tricks and whatnot with you to inspire you to improve your craft and have a great time doing it All right, today on the best saxophone podcast ever, we have someone who's a sax player, but really so much more. Saxophonist, multi-readist, composer, and recording artist Sam Sadigursky has played and recorded with artists as diverse as Ray Brown and Brad Meldow. He's the winner of the ASCAP Young Jazz Composer Award, the NFAA slash IAJE, Clifford Brown slash Stan Getz Fellowship, and the John Coltrane Young Artist Award. Currently residing in Brooklyn, New York, he's playing in venues and jazz festivals all over the world. As a composer, he's been commissioned by vocal groups, film directors, and has collaborated with modern dance choreographers in live performances of their works. He can be heard with the Mingus Orchestra, Gabe Kahan, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Lucia Pulido and countless others, and Since 2007, Sam has released a series of recordings known as the Words Project, and this series features poetry set to music and has garnered enthusiastic critical acclaim. In fact, the debut earned a rare four-star review by the New York Times, and Time Out New York named it as one of the top ten releases that year. So, Sam, welcome to the best saxophone podcast ever.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Duran. Glad to be here.
0: Very cool, very cool. So can you just give us a brief overview of how you got started in music?
1: Um, Sure. Well, both my parents are actually um, classically trained musicians who work professionally. Um, So I was always around music, and I was fortunate to grow up in a place where there was a really kind of strong and entrenched uh, music program in the public schools. And um, I think it was just one of those communities where once you reached a certain age, you played an instrument. And I was really lucky that there were a lot of great teachers really accessible in that neighborhood. And uh, I think, well, I played piano long before that. And actually, my mother was my piano teacher. But that didn't last long as um, a lot of kind of parent, uh, child... Um, <laughs> you know, music lessons don't um, They're not a good idea And I don't recommend them to anybody um, But uh, but then later on I, I took up the saxophone um, In middle school And I think It was pretty soon that I, I Discovered jazz and improvisation And uh, It was really just kind of An obsession from there Cool. So
0: what was it that made you... I guess it was that obsession that made you decide you wanted to be a professional sax player. So like, at what point in your uh, education or about how old were you and you just said to yourself, you know what, this is what I want to do
1: full-time? I think I was probably beginning of high school for me that that I really knew that. At that that time, I was already kind of starting to meet... um, a lot of players who were who were my age from from the rest of Los Angeles and uh... it just became such a sort of deep part of my life like you know at a certain point it was just all my friends were were musicians and it was just the way that I really related to people was through that so yeah, I, I, there, there was never any like one moment, I think, where, where it clicked for me. But there, there just came a point at which I, I kind of knew that it was what I was going to do.
0: Well, that's fairly early on. I mean, early in, in high school. But uh, I know the school you went to um, has a fantastic jazz program. So I'm not surprised <laughs> that it kicked in there. I mean, did you have like a single big break that led to you playing professionally full time, or has it just been like a gradual process of a few gigs here, a few gigs there, and before you know it, you're playing full time?
1: Um, I was actually really lucky in Los Angeles while I was still in high school to actually have a lot of chances to perform, and there were uh, there was an organization called the Spotlight Awards out there that that. Uh, I was part of, and they actually fed me a lot of, fed me a lot of gigs where I actually had the budget to kind of call a lot of senior players to play with me. Um, And just, there was a really fantastic community of older and more experienced players out there that I really just like started to learn from and started to really expand my repertoire and learn how to Lead a gig and shape a set and call tunes, and uh, so yeah, I think it was it was before I went to college that I already had some sort of taste of working as a musician, and uh, and then it's it's just been it's been gradual from there, and everything everything in the music world is kind of who you know. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's also how you play. Believe me and you being like a good person to work with but uh sort of it's it's networking that really sort of feeds a career and so when once I actually moved to New York um I just started to meet people and they started to call me for work uh when they couldn't do it so
0: the the networking was that like a deliberate thing you kind of had a strategy for who you wanted to meet and how you were going to do it, or was it just a more gradual, organic process of just meeting people on gigs?
1: Yeah, I think the latter. Um, yeah, I think that you know the musician community is is a really social community for the most part. So um, yeah, I, I don't think people who really come on very strongly in this community do that well, necessarily. I mean, I think it's just kind of being um, a person who's who's pleasant to be around. Um, It means means a lot in this world.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, I mean, I know a lot of it does have to do with your playing, because jazz music, it's not... Necessarily a glamorous industry where just because you look good, someone's gonna want to take you on tour. <laughs> so um, I think the playing has a huge
1: amount to do with it. So yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you know, and, and also in in New York, it's really common to just play what we call sessions here. Um, I mean, I think there. It would be a different name depending on where you are, but I mean, essential, just like kind of informal, like uh, get togethers that musicians have at people's houses just to play. I mean, I never was really one to go out to a lot of jam sessions here, which that certainly does exist. And I do know people who have kind of gotten their, gotten their name out that way. But um, my first few years here, particularly, I was fortunate to have an apartment where I was able to actually have, you know, drummers and bassists and pianists over to play. And uh, so at least two or three times a week, um, I was putting things together. And I mean, it it definitely really helped me to to meet a lot of people and also develop as a player during that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, with jazz music, probably more than any other style of music, it's really seems like it's just as important to jam with other people as it is to practice on your own. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 kind of a funny balance. Like I, you know, when I'm when I'm doing a lot of practicing on my own, I I get incredibly restless to play with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do feel I, you know, I reach a certain point where um, in in order to kind of the de- Develop whatever I'm practicing any further. I mean, I almost have to go like kind of put it out there with other people. But uh, but all, at the same time, if I'm just playing with other people and not doing any practicing, I I start to feel very restless to go back and do some practicing. So it's it's a constant sort of balance between those two things. Um, but yeah, at the same point, at the same time, I I mean, I, I just don't feel like music is meaningful. Unless you're watching musicians who are really like having a dialogue amongst each other and uh, and enjoying one another and I, I don't think there's any real real way to develop that um, without playing with other people um it's like i mean it's like it's like when you spend time with with people that you're really close to and you just start to almost like develop the, this own language and you have this these these kind of inside jokes and things. Um, uh, it's it's a similar thing with musicians and developing musical relationships, and and I think that's so important. And uh, you know that there's the great saxophonist Steve Lacey, like has talked about the, and I think he might have gotten this from Monk, but like the his one big his biggest objective when he when he's playing is to just make the people around him sound good, mm. and. Uh, and I think there's there's a lot to be said from that for that. So would you say you have like
0: a clique of musicians that you've been collaborating with over the years for your more creative stuff or maybe even just on your professional gigs or is it just kind of evenly distributed of people from all walks of
1: professional music in New York? Um, yeah, I end up doing a lot of different things. I mean, within the same week here... I might do a Latin gig, I might do a jazz thing, I could go sub on a Broadway show, Um, I even do a lot of kind of classically oriented things, Um, last night I played out in the Princeton University Composers Ensemble, Um, so it just, it, it really varies, and I mean, it definitely, I think it Working as a profession, I mean, you have to just spread your tentacles as, as wide as possible, and I think, uh, you know, just devoting yourself to one small clique of people is uh, gonna be could be could be a hindrance in really kind of making it as a musician. Yeah. Well, but uh, you know that that said, I do have there there are people that at this point I go back 10 or 15 sometimes even 15 years with who uh who I definitely feel you know there there's a closeness of of our relationship that uh that definitely feels very meaningful when we when we start to play together just like having having that history together and really just having developed together and and watched other people develop I mean it's it's a really amazing thing now and I mean, I sometimes just have this realization, playing with, with some of my friends who who I knew, uh, who I've known for that long, and just hearing how incredible they sound now, um, and uh, just like how how much of that development I've actually been able to kind of be there for and to actually see, is is a really it's a really incredible feeling to see that.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So it it sounds like obviously you're doing a lot of different stuff. And one thing that just I'm curious about is, I mean, more than a lot of sax players I know, you are doing a lot of stuff like you're composing, you're recording, you're playing sax, you're mastering the other woodwind instruments as well. And how do you split um, your time, you know, your practice time, your composing time? What,
1: what's, the, like the split between all those things um it's it's a really enormous challenge and I think I end up just sort of dealing with whatever's on my plate at the moment um often I mean if uh, if I have something that is really demanding on the flute I'll I'll, I'll I'll devote a lot more time to the flute and kind of set some things aside Um, Or, you know, oftentimes with composition, I I end up kind of setting my playing stuff Uh, slightly aside to just, I don't know, I've always had kind of an obsessive personality, so I'm not really somebody who can compartmentalize what I do all that well, but uh, there's a lot of it, I mean, particularly the doubling, which I know is a really daunting thing for... For most saxophone players who who want to be able to do that, um, you know I was really fortunate to start the flute and clarinet um, when I was very young, even just like a year or two after I started playing saxophone you know, i had I had a teacher who was a real stickler for um, kind of developing professional skills um, and so I mean I was able to reach a point. Uh, or an ability on on those instruments to where like if I'm practicing the flute I can still address a lot of kind of the musical ideas that I'm interested in developing um, you know as as a jazz musician so I just kind of feel it it all sort of feeds um, feeds into each other and so it doesn't it doesn't feel like all these different things necessarily. I mean, it, it really does feel, you know, in, in the best times, it just feels like I'm devoting myself to music, and it's not all these totally, you know, disconnected things that I'm doing. But um, yeah, it, it 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 is a it is a really big challenge at at the same time, and um, you know, striking striking the balance is is difficult
0: yeah, I mean, you know what i'm what I always wonder is, obviously you have an enormous amount of proficiency on a lot of instruments, and I'm wondering, you know, as far as your development went, did you have a period in your life where you just practiced your playing just a lot you, you know more even than you do now, where it was just your practice and woodshedding period, and now you're kind of doing more things and you're, you're spreading yourself a bit thinner in a cooler way? Or uh-huh. has your practi- the amount of practicing you've done just been kind of steady over your entire musical progression?
1: Um, I think early on, I was probably doing a lot... I was spending a lot more time with... Uh, with my instruments than, than I do now. I mean, it's, uh, I think a lot of that, I I would like to spend that same amount of time now, but it's just not possible. I mean, as you grow older, you're sort of balancing more sort of life things and having to take care of, take care of more. And it just becomes difficult to really spend five or six hours a day, um, just playing your instrument. Which uh, there was definitely a time in my life when when I was doing that, but uh, in the, in a lot of it to me, I mean, I'm kind of running around and and doing rehearsals and gigs, and a lot of the time that the horns in my mouth is is that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, to all you kids who are listening, <laughs> um, take advantage of the time you have now <laughs> because. Uh, you know, for most of us, it, it really doesn't it it doesn't get much better in terms of uh, you know the the responsibilities one has it becomes it becomes much it was it was it was kind of like it was a very it was not something that I had to think about that much if I wanted to like spend the day with the saxophone and now if I want to do that it's. I really have to say, okay, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this mountain of other things another day. It was a, it was much more of a no-brainer back then.
0: I mean, that's almost an argument for music school in and of itself. You know, um, even if the music school isn't the best in the world, uh, just to be able to have that time for four years, or you know, eight years if you get your master's, where you don't have to. Be concerned with generating input as much. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny, actually, last week I, I, w- I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was writing and I was feeling kind of stuck and was, uh, no, I, I th- think I was looking for some particular piece in one of my notebooks. I mean, I have this like stack of, of sort of practice slash composition notebooks that I've kept. Over the years, and I mean and I, and I ended up going through these books that I kept in college, and uh yeah, I definitely got a sense of the the immersion that that I was able to sort of do back then that uh that's definitely more of a challenge right now I mean, you know, and i I have been fortunate here too like I've been on a few artist retreats. Where I do get to go to some place that's usually in the middle of nowhere and just practice and compose and, and that's been very helpful and, and once in a while, I just kind of create that for myself here, where you know I really kind of turn off the phone and shut the computer and and, uh, and just work
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah, you know in that immersion. I think not only applies to, to practicing, but also to, to listening. I mean, especially I would say from the age of, I don't know, 12 or 13, probably 13 to about 18. I mean, if I wasn't playing, I was just listening to music constantly. Um, you know, whether it was in the car or in headphones or at home or whatever. And and I think that's... So much of the learning really, really happens there.
0: Your, your latest album, and actually the the series of albums, but uh, The Words Project, but in particular the, the most recent one, it's... I don't know, it just doesn't really sound like jazz as most people understand it. And I've even heard it uh, described as... Or compared to Bjork and which I, I kind of agree with and it, it's really unique stuff that doesn't sound like anything else I've ever heard which is what makes it really exciting so what is it that got you you know in, in New York City there's so many players who are just playing straight-ahead jazz it's, it's huge over there so what is it that got you moving away from that direction in your own music and into something just completely unique
1: um, Well. Thank you for for calling it that. Um, I, I, again, it wasn't it wasn't really a conscious decision. I mean, I think for some people, c- get to New York and uh, really that, that that straight ahead scene really kind of grabs them, and they they take off there. And then for me, I've ended up just I I play so many different kinds of musics and meet so ma- musicians of so many different backgrounds that. Um, there's there's just a lot a lot of other music besides straight ahead jazz that that's coming through my ear that's that's passing through me and uh and I think it it just really influences me a lot and part of it is also just like the the jazz world can feel a little bit insular sometimes and uh I've always I've always kind of struggled with that and um and I don't like the idea of Music being for other musicians, as it often can feel like in the in the jazz world, um, and so I think that's also pushed me to to explore some things outside of it. But I also feel jazz jazz is always taken from from other music, and uh, and even though a lot of the things on the new record don't sound like jazz to A typical listener. I mean, I think there is a jazz sensibility there, especially in the way that those things were recorded. Like, there, there are a few things on that new record that are actually kind of scored, but there was a lot of kind of spontaneous um, decisions and music making that that was made in the production of that. And I mean, the singers really take a lot of liberties with with the things I wrote. And actually, I'd, I hadn't even gotten together with any of the singers before they came in and recorded. I mean, and, the, and that really felt like a jazz approach to, to going about things. Mhm. So, I would
0: imagine that that, you know, the, the unique things you're doing with your own music, does it affect your sax playing when you go out to like a regular jazz gig? Are you perceiving music? through the filter of this new concept you've created?
1: Um, I think it's just more going into situations and reacting to the people that you're playing with. Like, I've never enjoyed listening to people who kind of like just play their bag of tricks in, regardless of the situation that they're in. Like, I mean, I I really, I, one of the things that really excites me as a musician and when I go out to hear music is how sort of, how people react to, um, the situation they're in and the musicians they're playing with and the room they're playing with and the room they're playing in and the audience. And, um, I just, I really crave that, that feeling of immediacy Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, I think one of the things that, that I like to feel when I go listen to, to any jazz is that um, what I'm hearing is just really, really unique to that night. And even if a group plays the same song the next night, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be different in a way. Um, I don't really get off on, on, on music that, that feels like it's a, that it's a set show in any way.
0: So what kind of music are you listening to these? Uh, what, you, what are you listening to these days?
1: Um. Well, I'm actually sitting right by like my stack of CDs that are in high rotation. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it really runs the gamut. I mean, uh, I'm I've been really into this group Wilco, <laughs> the past little bit, which I'm like ten years late on. <laughs> um, but I'm actually like very. I didn't grow up in, like, a, a sort of pop or rock music literate household, so I actually ended up sort of uh, discovering a lot of music that, that's very sort of widely known um, very late. Um, so that one of their CDs is here. Um, there's a Branford Marsalis record here that I've been checking out. I mean, he's... Uh, he was one of my really early saxophone heroes and I've kind of come back the past few years to realize just how incredible he is Um, there's um, I've been really into Argentinian music lately and there's a composer named Fernando Otero in New York who's really doing some incredible things so yeah I've never been like Systematic. My my listening is like pretty peripatetic, I and mean, I just kind of go with, um, however I'm feeling. Um, there was there was definitely a point in my life. I think when I was when I was checking out saxophone players much more intensely,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and now I, I, I do I do like feel that's still very valuable. But I also feel there's a lot of value in checking out and really kind of um, studying players of other instruments and in other styles. I mean, there, there's there's a klezmer clarinetist named Andy Statman, who um, I finally just started listening to recently, and just like the the expression that this guy is able to achieve, like on the instrument, is so incredibly inspiring. I mean, I've, I've I've listened to it as a clarinetist, but actually, you know, since I started listening to it last week, I mean, even when I pick up the saxophone, I mean, I, I really try to um, keep the, the depth of what he does in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So... Starting to uh, wind down a little bit to wrap it up. Um, what you know? I know this is a common question, but for sax players coming up, what um, skills? What are the prerequisites? What kind of advice do you have for them to make the transition from student or amateur to full-time professional?
1: Um. Hmm Well, there there's definitely you really have to be prepared um, for for the long haul.' <laughs> um, it's, it's a really for For most players, it's a very, very long-term um, sort of commitment that they're making, and and, it's, and it can be a very bumpy road, and definitely like very trying. Um, and I think like really the musicians that that I like to work with and be around are ones who who are always looking to learn. Uh, so I think just just keeping that in mind and you know like music, like I think most other things worth worth pursuing is is one of those things where you know the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, and there's just kind of a bottomless. Uh, amount to learn Um, as far as making the transition uh, no I I was lucky because I I went to school in New York and uh, so coming out of college I already had a lot of contacts but um, just I think find find the players that, that you want to make music with and, and pursue, and, and, and pursue that. I mean, and, and whether those players are, are famous people or not, um, it doesn't really matter. I think as long as you're just out there playing with other people and, and developing something. Okay,
0: cool. Well, you know, the last thing I'd like to leave everyone with is a sample of your music. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't ask you beforehand, but if, if you could uh, share one of your pieces of music with everyone to close the show out, uh, what would that be?
1: <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> I probably should have asked you that before, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, do you have anything off the top of your head that I could play for folks?
1: Um, maybe like that tune, In the Kitchen? Okay. Uh, where, you know, I, I take a somewhat lengthy saxophone solo. I mean, with a lot of the Words Project, there aren't really, it's not so much about uh, these long-developed solos, but, uh, you know, that is one of the, the solos that I'm, one of the recorded solos that I'm most proud of.
0: Okay. Well, awesome, Sam. This has been really cool. A lot of great information, really inspiring, and uh, hope to have you back at some point soon.
1: Thanks, Daron. Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: All right. Thanks, Sam. Okay. All right. That's it for Best Saxophone Podcast Ever, and we'll leave you with In the Kitchen by Sam Sadigursky.
2: A jug of water has its own lustrous turmoil. The ironing board, thanks God, for its two good strong legs and sturdy back. The new fridge humps like a maniac. With helpful I am trying to love the world. Back to normal. cured to their did first in-